I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Jason Wu, wow, is a Taiwan-born, New York-based designer who has become a staple of American fashion. In 2001, Wu attended the prestigious Parsons School of Design before leaving in 2004 to intern with Narciso Rodriguez. Then in 2006, Jason founded his namesake label. In 2008, Wu was selected as a recipient of the Rising Star Award for Women's Ready to Wear at the annual Fashion Group International Awards and was selected as a CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund finalist. Wu's career soared in early 2009 when Michelle Obama... Michelle Obama wore his design and dress at the first and second inaugural ball, earning Wu unparalleled exposure. Wu has since become one of the most coveted American designers within the industry, boasting collaborations with the likes of Bergdorf Goodmans, Shiseido, Moda Eyewear, Target, and Jason Wu Fabrizio. From 2013 to 2018, he was the creative director at Hugo Boss. He recently launched a cosmetic line, which I will vouch for, Jason Wu Beauty, and a collection of furniture with Interior Define. I will also say that it is a beautiful line of uh, interiors. Please welcome Jason Wu in my chair. Hi, Jason. Hi, Quinn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Other than having not seen many people for a year, I'm great. Oh, I, I yeah, I know. I think I've seen like three people and they were all socially distanced. And I know. You know. And the world is a whole different place. So wait a minute. We started a little late because you just told me right before that you don't have a computer. Yeah, I don't have a computer. <laughs> I only have an iPad and an iPhone. I can do everything on there. Except okay. for a podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. So what's, what's the deal? You just never thought that you, you wanted one or you had one and threw it away? I, I, I had one. I, I had computers throughout my life. I just don't really feel the need to anymore. And actually I love doing things by hand. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like, I don't want to stare at the computer all day long, which, you know, at uh, notably, you know, I, I, you know, I think is, 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 is kind of how we are in front of a computer, right? We'll find something to do. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a much better off with the phone because, you know, I'm always on my phone as well. The phone is but, worse, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, no, I just decided I didn't really need one. You know, I, I, I um, I, that's I, success, Jason. You're, you, you've reached the pinnacle of success where you don't need a computer. I think you know? <laughs> it's so cumbersome. I don't need one. You know? Yeah. Totally. So I wanted to talk to you about obviously the elephant in the room is that, you know, COVID, the yeah. world pandemic. You've been in New York the whole time? I have. I've been in New York since we shut down last March. So I've been I've been in New York. Um I've been on one trip, but yeah, I've been on in, in New York um the whole time. Which is How have you found the city? You know, you know it's like, you know in the beginning it's a bit weird, right? Like especially in in the beginning of March when everything started happening. I remember our 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 art studio shut down earlier because I know uh, my Chinese colleagues, um, you know, uh, who are stationed in Shanghai have been quarantined since, you know, December, January. Right. Kind of, kind of saw it coming. So we, we, we closed down pretty quickly. But Do you feel like you had a, a better like warning of it because you work in fashion and had that relationship? Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, yes. Meaning like, okay. Like I knew that, you know, you know, this was going to become very serious as a situation, right? And 
but you know, by the time it hit New York, and you know, I remember um, the first official day of quarantine. Um, I, I went to a grocery store and literally there was no produce left. So once you're in that environment, you're like, well, oh, you know, oh shit, it's real, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> you can imagine did, that be prepared for a thousand ways, but I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in a movie. Did you, did that when you started cooking a, a lot more or were you ordering in or? I, you know, I cooked every single day from March to June. I did not go anywhere outside. Wow. Not even delivery. So I, I, I started actually out of boredom. I started a, an Instagram account called Mr. Wu Eats. And yeah, that just, really upset me because I was like, not only are you a successful d- celebrated designer, but your food is incredible too. Well, I hope so. I hope you'll get to taste it one day. But it's, it's yeah. mostly like, you know, I'm, I'm, I have like ADD. So it's really hard for me to be home at night. You know, I'm used to like in 2019, which sounds like it was a long time ago, I was out, I would say like 85% of the days in a year, you know, every single night. And all of a sudden every day, you know, I was making dinner and it's like, you know, it actually became a really wonderful escape and actually kind of kept me from going crazy. I And also you're your menu is so global. Like, how did you, have you always known how to make, you know, Asian food and also like seriously like oat French food and all of it? (laughs) Well, no, I always knew how to make Asian food, especially Chinese, because, you know, that's my background and my mom taught me a lot, but you know, like a lot of things I just winged it, you know, um, you know, I Well, are you going online and going to like Martha Stewart and looking up recipes? Yeah, you know, New York Times has great recipes. Epicurious has great recipes. I mean, online is just like treasure trove of like recipes. And I have like so many cookbooks that I like never really looked through. And like, you know, during quarantine, I got a chance to like really look through. And it actually became a really fun creative outlet. You know, it took me like, you know, like, by the way, never don't attempt as a, a sourdough bread thing. It takes weeks and it's a pain in the ass. But <laughs> I'm glad I did it and I conquered it. But I don't think I'll be doing it again. <laughs> well, Justin, I think like because I'm from the Bay Area, I think it has to do with the the salt in the air or something like that, right? Yeah, it just takes a long time, you know. And it's like now now that I'm like back to work a lot, I just like I, I'm not gonna spend you know two weeks making a loaf of bread. I'm probably just gonna buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my partner Jean Pierre is French and was just telling me that they have these vending machines in in France. I'm assuming in Paris, where you can go up and get a baguette out of a vending machine. Oh, that's amazing! I would love a baguette yeah. machine right now. I think it would work here. Wouldn't you do it every day? Like, go get your baguette, and I mean, you know, I would say though, nothing is as good as a fresh baguette in Paris with some butter. That's like yeah. the delicious thing. What's your favorite baguette in New York? Favorite baguette, I mean, you know, Balfasar is always, like, a classic. I get it there. And I love going to Italy, you know? It's become my, like, I'm there, like, I know everyone there already. We've started going every day that we're in the city, too. And we've lived near it forever and never went. And now that we're cooking more, and by we, I mean Jean-Pierre. Um, <laughs> like, we were there yesterday, the day before. It's the best store. I'm surprised you're not cooking, because you're creative. I'm a really good eater, I am super opinionated about food and like what I eat and know what I want, but I'm also extremely lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, that was fun. It was like a nice byproduct of, you know, a kind of a a year 
like none other. You know, I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. I think everybody alive will have a collected shared experience of yeah. of COVID. You know, it, I do. Think I have silver lining, though. I think the silver lining is that you know we do appreciate what we do have at the present. You know, a lot more. You know, versus before we're always kind of like climbing this impossible ladder, like more, 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 more of everything. Right? It was become this like very access culture, and I think you know. Once you go through an experience like the pandemic, where you know there's a shortage of like hand sanitizers and toy- toilet paper, you know, you read totally. kind of take that into consideration. I have this theory, and I, I don't know if I've said this before, but I tend to repeat myself a lot. Um, so I'm just going to say it again: is that okay? So like, you know, my father-in-law isn't doing well. My grandfather isn't doing well. They were both um, in the hospital, and usually when everything slows down as human beings for you is when you're old and you don't have a chance to make changes because you're reflecting on it before you die. This is morbid, but COVID everything slowed down. And I think that the one thing that I can get from this is that I'm not dead. I have the time now to make the changes, you know, that I want to make in my life. And you can reflect and say, you know what? I wish I had done more dance classes. I wish I had done more kickboxing or I wish I had spent more time with my friends. Now I can actually implement that. It's not too late. No, it's not too late. And I think it's actually sometimes, you know, a slowdown, especially in, in fashion, we've become so fast, right? In fashion that it's like actually nice to have a little space, a little time. And, um, you know, really think about what, what it is that we're doing, you know? So why is fashion so insatiable? There's always, not even in just in the, the amount, there's the amount of collections, the amount of shows, Yeah. there's the amount of uh, actual product produced, and then always having the next editorial, the next thing. It's, it's pretty, it never, it really never stops if you want to be on that ride. What is the deal? Well, I think the deal is that, you know, it, it it became a byproduct of its own forwardness, you know, like meaning fashion is always looking for the what's next, what's new, right? And well, when the world become faster through the use of technology and social media, for example, right, that speed accelerates at a crazy, crazy speed. So, you know, when I started in 2006, 2007, you know, we would have to wait like for days for reviews, you know, now the review's in before the show is even over, right? Yeah. Everything has just gone so fast. And I think, you know, fashion has both benefited from the speed because now you know more data, you know more about your customers, but also have been, you know, hurt by the speed, meaning like designers are just non, you know, nonstop. We're always working. You know, we don't have time to reflect or to think, you know, and, 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 and actually that's a very, very important part to, to staying creative and being the best at your job is to actually sometimes have a little distance. Right, because you know that you have four, at least four collections that you yeah. have to get through. And then all of the pre-collections now are almost like a collection used they, to be. They're all real full collections, you know? Right. And what I've done is, you know, I, it's last year because, you know, we, you know, last year was a difficult year for retailers and this year too. And, you know, we just decided to create less. You know, we, we were creating the full collections. But instead of like 100 items in a collection, maybe we only create 40, but they're 40 amazing things. It's really about creating quality versus quantity. And that's something that I think, 
you know, was a fundamental wake up call for me. And, you know, I can't speak for others, but that there's simply just an overabundance of everything in this world. And I think as a creator, it, it makes me think about how to create more responsibly and also create a better product altogether in the end. Right. But do you, so you, when you say responsibly too, I, I mean, fashion is like the second biggest culprit of global warming, right? Yeah, it is. So how is that going to change? Uh, or is it, if it's going to change, how is that going to change our approach to fashion and being consumers? I mean, I think to me, it's, you know, I mean, I'm 38. To me, it's all about buying things. I, I don't, I no longer buy things just because it's cute for a second. You know, I buy things. As a consumer, that I want to keep for a long time in everything from clothes to home to, you know, you know, er, you know, er, er, everything I touch. Right. And 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 that's the same way I approach work. You know, it's like, would I am I proud to create something that, you know, will live on long after me? And I'm, I'm, am I happy with putting that out there? You know, and so, like, you know, we, we, we decided to create better, but create less. And how do you do that when you have people to answer to who might not be thinking about that and they're just thinking about, you know, the bottom line? How do you, I mean, how do you go about doing that? That's always the challenge, right? But, you know, I actually think, um, you know, we saw a lot of improvements in the business. We were producing a lot of things that, you know, they're, they're, you know by creating better things with more thought behind it, you know, the business actually didn't, wasn't hurt in that way, you know? It's actually, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's just how you think about it. You know, it's like, oh, you give people this glutton of choices and, you know, it's kind of like, there's just a lot of stuff out there. But when you actually sit and consider and really think about what your customers want and really think about what inspires you and what you want to create, then, you know, it, 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 you know, it's about, you know, having the curated which is what we should be doing, right? As designers curating the best of what we have to the customers. But when, before you do that, you're taking a, you're, because you're making a shift from what you know to yeah. going to something to step back. How do you convince people to follow you in that direction? I mean, you know, you know, the, that's the, the, the pandemic really shown, you know, you know, shown, you know, show the light, you know, like shown a light, on this whole situation, you know, it's like, listen, you know, things can't, things are changing every single day. The world was already changing way before 2020, you know, things were already becoming a bit dysfunctional. There's too many seasons. There's too much demand. Actually, there's too many products for the amount of demand. So, you know, I've been working on that, you know, in in this quality over quantity way for quite quite some time. And right now, I think we're all confronted with the fact that, you know, um, we have to collectively slow down a little bit as a world, you know? It seems to me that that's slowly been happening too, where I've heard that designers are are like pulling out of certain, you know, like when Givenchy was not going to do couture anymore, when people are setting up, they're doing shows from LA or doing things that fit them more you know, that that was already starting before COVID, but now it seems like people are really reevaluating what makes sense for them, their personal values and what makes sense for their business, you know? And I think that, 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 you know, um, over a very challenging year last year also forced us to all act like we're in startup mode again, which I actually think is really nice. You know, I, I forgot how fun it is to 
you know, do so many things that I, you know, I stopped doing for many years, you know, and And really like problem solve. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, you know, we're not on office at the same time. We're still very distant. We're still a lot of us working remotely. And, you know, sometimes I just have to get down to it. You know, if I had to package something to send to Asia or send something to Europe, you know, you know, it's uh, packing boxes and putting shipping labels and going to FedEx, you know, Um, I I, I like that. I do. I I, I like the idea of getting back to basics. I I love that. I love the idea of you packaging stuff up and going to FedEx. I'm quite good. I want to see you in the line. I'm sure. Um, no, I so always drop you, off at the box. We don't need to stand in line. Oh, that's true. <laughs> when, um, when was Jason, the last time you went to FedEx? <laughs> I, you know what? I do go for some, you know, I send makeup to like family members and yeah. friends and stuff. So then I'll go for that. But like, I also, you know, I kind of go in there and I'm like, can you just like send this, you know, like I'm not a pro at all. (laughs) Um, So you decided though, you were one of the first people who did an official fashion show high scale after Cuomo said it was okay. Why was that important for you to do a fashion show um, in September? And also what was that like? Well, I think in in a, you know, in a wake of like the big quarantine in New York, right. Um, You know, I, I felt like it was, you know, it was kind of our responsibility, you know, my responsibility as a fashion designer to, you know, um, to, sh- to, to do something during New York fashion week. Cause I didn't, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that New York was still very well represented in terms of where we are. And, you know, I felt like it was a moment where everybody wanted this escapism, you know, you know, we all houses for so long and not really seeing very many people and you know the idea of staging something very safely but it's something live even albeit instead of 450 audience we had 35 people in the audience right but you know through the magic of the internet you know millions of people can see this was you know were able to see the show live streamed and it was just show that New York is really resilient and that fashion can still bring happiness and, you know, inspiration, you know, sometimes we forget that. I mean, I remember a few editors told me after the show, it's like, Oh, we'll never complain about going to shows again, you know, because we savor that moment. You know, it's actually, you know, instead of jumping from show to show, people felt like, Hey, you know, it's really nice to be out and attending an event of some sort, you know, the human interaction aspect of, what all of us creatives do is very important. It, it's so important. And I never realized, like, I, I'm sure for you the same, like everything I do is for someone to do something social. Yeah. You're going to a red carpet. It's a yeah. photo shoot. There's people on set. So I think that my community and our community has been hit some of the hardest. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, during fa- the pandemic. Fashion, beauty, you know, definitely some of the hardest. And, um, you know, I think... You know, but but I think it will recover. I think you know the the you know the creativity should never stop. And I actually thought your show was an when you said it was an escape. It literally was like everybody's thinking about where they're going to travel to next, and you know they just <laughs> travel and all that. And then your show was like took you to Tulum or exactly. to some tropical place. And then I noticed that also all of us are wearing like 
really comfortable loungewear and stuff that's not fussy and really just kind of getting back to basics. And I thought, looking at the collection, that the kind of loose form and the comfortable, you know, the the girls were all in um, sandals. And was that a part of because of what we were going through with COVID? Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, this time, usually, um, you know, I show my um, couture prize point uh, collection, Jason Wu collection, during Fashion Week. And my contemporary prize a label Jason Wu is what I showed in September. So it is in by, by and large more casual, but also it's like, yeah, I wanted to make clothes that make sense. You know, like I can't imagine anybody in like a big ball gown in September, you know, right. or most of this year for that fact, for that matter. And I think as a fashion designer, it's very important for us to be sensitive um, of, of the times and also be responsive to what our customers are looking for. You know, and I think I, I don't think I've seen that many people between last year and this year in heels. So I was like, then why should I put high heels on a runway? You know, I think people wanted to be in very comfortable clothes. And um, and that was my reaction. I also thought there was something that actually because, you know, everything in fashion is has been done and it's done again and recreated and reimagined. But it felt new to me to see. um I loved, I think it's my favorite collection that you've done so far was your spring 21 ready to wear collection. Um, but it, it felt so, well, there's something nostalgic about it growing up. It, I know it was like a late seventies vibe, but also somehow nineties. Like I pictured the girls who I grew up with would wear the, those clothes. Exactly. Um, and, and it felt very multicultural. It felt very, and so in that way, it felt new to me. But I, yeah, I, I, it's about also, also, yeah, it's about how you put it together. You know, every time we interpret something from the past, we have to bring something modern and something we're experiencing now into the picture. I read that you that you found your inspiration on Instagram from the Japanese artist Noriko Takashita. I don't yes. know how you say the name. Um, can you tell me how that happened? And I also now love her artwork as well. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, you know, it, you know, it was great. It's like, you know, I couldn't interact with anybody, you know, during, you know, like that many people, you know, a few people on my team, but you know, we couldn't travel. I used to travel like two, three times a a month, you know, and it's just like, you know, I, I love the idea of collaboration. As you mentioned earlier, I've done a lot of different projects from Brizo, which is still ongoing, you know, do, you know, anything from home in, with interior defined to now Jason Wu Beauty, you know, the idea is to be very multifaceted, and very lifestyle as a design house, you know, and, 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 and so it's important It's like oxygen for me to, interact with other creatives and you know when you can't physically see a lot of people you turn to the internet you know and that's one thing i found great about instagram is that you're able to you know through you know through a a couple direct messages you can strap up a friendship with somebody you've never even met which is which which was the case yeah, I, I imagine when they see uh, Jason Wu verified in their DM, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to answer this one. We have a pretty good success rate in DM. And I'm actually, <laughs> FYI, I'm the one doing it. There's no, like, social team. I was surprised when we started uh, DMing together um, that it was you. Because yeah. I just always assumed it was some girl in, in, like, the PR department. No, I'm the girl in the PR department. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you oh do God. it well. You know? 
it's like nowadays it's like oh instead of collecting everyone's emails like oh instagram made it easy you know it's like direct message quinn murphy but you know i'm launching beauty i'm sending you a package i love it I mean, and then it's a nice, nice way that turned into, hey, I'm going to just ask you if you do my podcast, expecting you to say, you know, I'm so busy. Let's 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 uh, bring it up again in the spring. And you were like so ready to do it. So, yeah, I'm just yeah. Like, okay, you know, it's, um, you know, again, it's like it's 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 about chatting with cre- I, I, I love interacting with creatives, you know, and I think this is a time where we can get creative in a different way, you know. You know, because we, we we can't do things, a lot of things the traditional way, which is to meet one-on-one in person. Absolutely. So you, I, I know that you're, you'll align yourself like um, with the best people in the industry when you're collaborating with other creatives, uh, whether it's Fabian Baron or, you know, Diane Kendall doing the makeup for your shoots. You recently, um, the shoot that you, the lookbook that you released with um, Ethan James Green, I loved it. Again, it felt very pared down. And, yeah. And that, in its way, the simplicity felt new. Yeah, and, you know, it was good. It was, you know, it, the idea was, you know, that lookbook uh, we shot on um, a, a friend of mine, um, Model Delon, who's playing Pat Cleveland. In a, oh, my God, I was just going to ask you, was that intentional? Well, a little bit. We're like, you know... You know, I've known Delon since she started and everyone always saw her one way. And as the, you know, I thought this is the time to have fun. You know, we did like a very, you know, 70s, 30s um, uh, inspired hair and makeup, very Pat Cleveland, you know, and, you know, we really have fun with it. You know, this is this is when we, we should, you know, go out of our comfort zone and have fun. And uh, and that's, you know, the magic of fashion, hair and makeup. You can transform you know, somebody into a chameleon, you know, it's great. Totally. I saw the, the first time I saw that image, I was like, that reminds me of Pat Cleveland. You know, yeah. I wonder if that's who he thought of. And that's also speaking Pat of fun, never go she, out of she is fun. Like yeah. she, I don't know if you could not have fun and be around her. You know, I was lucky to work with her a couple of times. Um, so you collaborate with creatives. Yes. How important, because you're, you're somebody who you understand that you're, creating this kind of multifaceted brand. There's been a lot of duos in fashion yeah. about creatives and business. So you had yeah. Saint Laurent and Berger, Valentino, Giametti, Jacobs and Duffy. Do you also feel like you have a collaboration? My husband. With the business, your husband. Okay. Yeah. He does all the things I don't want to do basically. So <laughs> like money. Would you be where you are without that business side of it? No, I definitely won't. You know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I kind of naively started my business, you know, with a couple dollars in my pocket and like didn't have a business plan and didn't know how to do any of that, you know, and it became something, but it became, you know, after year two, it was just very clear that I wasn't able to, you know, be the creative and a business person, you know, at the same time, nor was it a good idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of really what happened. And But uh, did you meet, you met your husband because he was already on the business end of fashion? And, you know, my, my husband worked in uh, personal shopping in, at SAS in, at men's, but I'm, I'm, I've, you know, we were already dating by the time I started my collection. So yeah, no, we did not intentionally want to work together for, been over 12 years now you know no i would wish that upon nobody is to work with 
<laughs> it's the best and it's the worst. Right? Can you turn it off? Like you know, when you're oh, having dinner, so difficult. You know, that's why we have to have TV dinner separately. Even though I'm cooking, I have to make his portion for the other side of the department, and I get the other side of the department because you know sometimes we just need a break after working. You know, we're working through the same issues, same problems. We have different job duties, but you know, we we have to draw a clear line, right? Um, um, when work ends and when life begins. And that's even harder when you're business partners and also lifelong partners. I, yeah, I mean, I think the key from what I hear is that you guys have different job duties, you know, we do, but we still overlap a lot. The key is, um, to, uh, the, the, the key is to approach with caution. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said I would never work with my partner or my family unless I was, didn't have to, um, cause we work together on everything like at home and we're yeah. even like redoing a closet right now. And the fights are already starting, you know, cause we're exactly. both opinionated and want to win. But, um, you know, it, it helps if you have very different skill sets, I think. We do. We have very different skill sets. Do we still argue about work? Absolutely. And, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, you have to agree to disagree sometimes. But how involved are you? Because you're a creative type. And I always think, like, if I was to do something in a in a commerce er- arena, I would need that business person. But how involved are you in the business side of I'm, I'm actually really involved. I'm really involved. You know, I mean, um, you know, I, I, especially when things are changing all the time in the last five years. Right. I mean, you, you know, we've, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I've become much more open-minded and, and, you know, as a creative, I have to be aligned with the business part of, um, of, of, of my company because, you know, I have to evolve with the way the business is evolving. You know, we've done so many different projects, you know, um, you know, coming from purely luxury fashion, right. Um, you know, I've done collaborations with different price points, you know, um, and we've, you know, done things in the home and lifestyle category, you know, to really think those aren't things that I thought I would be doing when I first started in fashion, you know, but now those are the things I'm especially interested in. And so I've, I've had to evolve with the marketplace, what the business is, and also me as a person, like, you know, uh, home and lifestyle became much more important to me in my thirties, you know? Mm -hmm. So as a designer, I want to be a part of that world. When you're coming out with a collection as an artist and doing what you, you know, you get a fever about an idea and then you also have the other side of your brain and goes, but we sold X amount of gold watches last year. And that's what our business, you know, runs on. How do you, not that that's your business model, but just as a very generic example, how do you balance the two? Well, you have to, and it's that art and commerce side of it, you know, and I think one can't really exist without the other, you know, and, um, you know, you know, we, we, we have to make sure that, you know, for everything we do just for the sake of loving to do what we do, we also have to make sure that we are connected to the consumers and that we're making products that are relevant, right? And now. keep the lights on, right? Well, keep lives and keep jobs. You know, I have, I mean, yeah. I- you know, I've got a lot of responsibilities. I've got a lot of employees and, you know, we're like a family here. And so it's important for me. I have this responsibility to make sure that the art and commerce side are at equal, but never, you know, um, disproportioned. Mm. 
I think I like that because it's not a denial that, oh, I'm just an artist and I don't care about what sells. And it's also not the, and maybe the other still, Maybe somebody else has that luxury. I certainly don't. And I actually enjoy having both of those um, responsibilities. Is it a huge responsibility for a, a, how would you call your size of a brand? Meaning you're not an LVMH. We're, we're a mid-sized brand, you know, okay. so we'll be what you call middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a middle age. Definitely, I'm not young or a startup. I'm good in the I'm kitchen. Not, uh, you know, I'm not young or a startup, so no one can call me a young designer anymore. Uh, that 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 happened after the 10 year mark. But you know, we're still not a 30, 40 year old business. You know, so we're somewhere in between. So, and is there still a lot of pressure to survive? Oh yeah, daily. I mean, especially you know, uh, with 2020 really throwing a curveball and everything. You know, um, every day I feel like I'm kind of dodging something. But you know, um, it's also again made me grow. You know, I think 2020 was a really big year of growth for me. Tell me about it. Well, you know, you know, it's you know, all of a sudden you're seeing you know the the markets, you know. Um, you know, becoming tr- tremendously different, right? And you're seeing um, the lack of consumers, lack of confidence, you know, also just the lack of anything, you know. Um, you know, I mean, remember how you and I met where it was through, you know, working on our celebrity clients, right, together. You know, all of a sudden we don't get to do any of that. So, and and so, you know, it makes you reevaluate and, you know, think about what's really important and how you can stay afloat and also, you know, healthy minded during a process that can be easy for some people like in our industry. Right. All of a sudden, our, you know, our jobs are almost not required, you know, for a year. Right. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. me. So how do we keep it going and how do we learn from, you know, having to just, you know, uh, you know, do something, you know, that keeps ourselves inspired and motivated, you know, and that's not, that's much easier said than done. Right. I I was going to ask you, how do you keep, it's a two part question. How do you keep yourself or if you have ever felt uninspired, what do you do? Because you've got a collection coming up. You have to find that inspiration. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I changed. I mean, the first thing I did was, you know, I, I started cooking. I wrote, I mean, I wrote an entire cookbook, like a notebook, like just on since March, you know, and that was like every night it was my event, you know, it was like my, my way of doing something. Um, and, and, and that was very creatively satisfying. And then also I just got closer to friends, you know, like, you know, I, I have actually forgotten how to talk on the phone for many years. And I started talking on the phone again last year, FaceTiming with my parents. And, you know, sometimes I actually have, you know, we have, I've had a lot more quality time with people that are close to me last Isn't year. Isn't it funny to make a phone date with a friend? Yeah, I love. When would you have ever done that before? No. And, and I mean, do, would you have done this podcast before the, before the, um, before the quarantine? I yeah. wanted to a few years ago and I never got around to it until the quarantine and, and not even to really do something. You, yeah. You're not like, even the beginning of the quarantine. It took me until like, um, two months ago. You know what I mean? But isn't that something though, like that, you know, things that you, you know, there's always this list of what we want to do, right. That we kind of never get to. 
and now weirdly we have the chance i i think that that will help me frame this as a more positive experience than just being like it was a complete waste of time i mean it I, yeah I, I, listen was it shitty yes but waste of time i don't think it was I do feel like I'm just like aging and one of my last good years I'm hanging on, you know, and it was a waste. No. Yeah. Superficially. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're younger. Than <laughs> <laughs> but, so. um, Jason. So I wanted to tell you something that I actually, as an artist kind of think about is I'm always trying to like, you know, hold on to find my North star. It's like, what is yeah. my aesthetic? There's Instagram makeup. There's the makeup brands coming out here. And it's so, there's so many um, opinions and influence and the fast fashion things coming at you. Yeah. Now, how do you go? This is who I am. This is, I'm, this is, I'm Quinn Murphy. This is my aesthetic. And I'm, and this is what I think I'm about with all the noise around. Well, I think it comes with confidence and age and, you know, experience, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I mean, com coming from, you know, uh, an immigrant and coming to this country and, you know, not really sure, not really fitting in, you know, I didn't really play sports very well in high school, even I, I, I'm um, educated in the States, you know, um, you know, it took me a lot, many, many, many years to be, be able to embrace myself and my own strength, you know? And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it just takes time and confidence, you know, to really learn and kind of learn how to love yourself, you know, versus always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. Because it's not. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, I'll say the one the one thing about my job that it has shown me is the grass is not greener on the other side because I, I see the other side a lot. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know? You know, and, you know, and we're both behind the scene people. So we get to see a lot of things happen. You know, a lot of people see, you know, we, we're the crew to get somebody ready before a big moment. Right. But, you know, things are rarely simple as simple as they seem. No, you know, so what do, but what do you do? in terms of your design aesthetic to, to, uh, to stay true to what, to, to, to what you're doing, because it's an art. I always feel like it's not like saying I'm, I'm a red and red is what it is. It's like, you have to be vulnerable and a little bit nebulous in your so. process. I mean, you also, you know, you have to be able to hold on to what you believe in, but also allow yourself to, always add something new to the party. Right. And, you know, like for me, like my aesthetics, I'm heavily in, in, uh, in you know, influenced and interested in the 1940s and 1950s. That's definitely my favorite era. Um, when I first moved to the West, uh, which was 10, you know, I, I learned English actually through watching like Rear Window and Breakfast at Tiffany. Oh uh, yeah. The women, I could barely really like, I, I barely understand what understood what the plots were about but you know it was the fashion and it was like the you know the you know how meticulous you know um the, the tailoring and the silhouettes is you know the rigor and the and, and 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 it's a little over the top right like when you know like housewives um <laughs> vacuuming in full get up you know which is so glam when you think about it well like everything seemed like it was a you know set from mad men you know i love that era and so you know there's always that definitely a little bit of that uh reference in everything that i do or touch i love mid-century furniture um 
you know, I love especially makeup from the 1950s. I think it's amazing, the, the, you know, the packaging and everything. You know, it's really magical. And, um, and you know, I see, you know, I, and, and so that, 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 that ha- has heavily influenced a lot of my work. And, um, and, you know, like the latest collection I'm looking into, you know, bit back more a bit more back home you know i looked to um, a kimono as an inspiration and collaborated with a japanese artist for example you know um you know i'm i'm getting you know in in my older ages i i I, i'm beginning to look at a lot of things that i grew up with you know references that i didn't used to think was cool that i'm very proud of um owning that i love that and also how does that relate to like China being, do you feel like as someone who is Asian that you have an insight into that emerging market? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I mean, growing up Chinese, I definitely like, you know, I mean, I still, I I speak fluent Chinese and, and so like a part of me is still very like, you know, dual culture, you know, if you want to put it that way, but, um, you you know, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's, 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 you know, a lot of, a lot, a lot of people in my age or a lot of people younger are, you know, coming to embrace their own culture too, you know, and I think that's something that I've seen that's very different from when I was growing up. You know, I, I'm used to being like the only immigrant student in a classroom versus now, you know, if you go to any college or school, there's so many people from so many different parts of the world, right? Um, it, it wasn't like that back then. Did you, did you have, um, did that shape your kind of, I don't want to say confidence, but did that have something to do when you're growing up and being? Well, the yeah, only? because I was, you know, I went to boarding school and I, you know, was not, you know, I definitely did not fit in and didn't, um, you know, um, I, I, you know, I didn't look or behave like the other kids, you know, who, who were, uh, who grew up in the States. And, and, and so there was a cultural aspect and of things. And there's also, language you know that was learning and uh you know it made me fiercely independent you know because i was different and also um gay you know Mm -hmm. know, and that's something that you know uh was not easy for me to come around to you know coming from a chinese background where you know you don't read it's you know um you don't really say those kind of things out loud like i'm gay you know yeah, I I think it's something I hear from a lot of people. For, if you're from a different culture, I mean, yeah. if you're American and from the church, then that is also another thing. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you grew up with like hippie parents in the Bay Area, then you know you pretty much probably have a little bit of baggage about you know yeah. your culture. My, my parents weren't aren't hippies, but they're so accepting and cool about the whole thing. You know, they bought me dolls since I was younger. You know, without my parents, I definitely wouldn't be here today. I I completely agree. Same. But it doesn't mean that it was easy because society also is can be shitty. So it's like that, you know, no, you can you have know, the best home life and go out well, and get bullied. It's very interesting. You know, I mean, Quinn, it's like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, all the beauty billboards and all the popular pop culture uh, icons are were mostly Western. You know, we, even in Asia, we didn't see a lot of Eastern faces represented. That's only within the last 10 years. Do you really? Or maybe that? even like 
even less. <laughs> Now you're seeing every department store celebrates Chinese New Year, right? It's like as big as Christmas, right? And, right. and growing up, you know, I didn't even think most of my classmates knew what Chinese New Year really was. Do you have? Do you have this feeling that I I often feel in fashion that the people we work with are obsessed with being cool? Everybody wants to be looked at as cool or chic yeah. or whatever that means to you, and a lot of times I think it was because you, we were not cool. As oh, I would be least younger. cool, but I, I still think I'm the least cool. I mean, I just like you right, know. So you don't feel pressure to be cool. I can't because you know when I was when, when I was starting on my career I, I I did because you know I was 24 and you know any 24 year old is expected to be cool right and, and meanwhile my references are like Charles James and Saint Laurent from the 50s you know right. and you know I'm, I'm I have a very old soul and I really appreciate you know references that are less fleeting if that makes sense you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love, you know, I, I, I immerse myself in everything I could possibly learn about fashion histories, from like Paul Poiré to, you know, to Halston, you know, to, you know, Scaparelli. You know, it's just, um, you know, I've I've obsessed, you know, myself with all things fashion. So, but I would say you're cool, like. Well, I never thought that. So, (laughs) you know, I was like, I wanted to be chic and sophisticated, but cool is something that, like, you know, people don't immediately say when they see my clothes. You know, more like elegant. I want to be timeless, elegant, sophisticated. Right. You know, and and that's not necessarily always cool, but that's you know what, like it. it, You know, after a decade, I'm so happy that I stuck with my guns. I didn't try to make things that. Didn't feel natural for me, and try to put myself in a box that people wanted me to be in. Do you are you self aware at all? Yeah, I'm really self aware. I'm really self aware. Sometimes in, too self aware. In in terms of what personally in, in, in or what you're... I say, what I do. Um, you know, I'm sensitive to. I you know I'm sensitive to the energies of a room. You know, if you know things aren't. Going well, or you know, things need an adjustment, or you know, uh, you know, if somebody's not on board, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive in all those aspects. If that makes sense, yeah. I'm very like I don't want to say I'm spiritual because I'm not that spiritual, but like I definitely am sensitive to energies, you know. And do you care? Who do you care about? Whose opinions do you care about? Yeah, I, I you know I, I it depends on what it is you know like you know it's you know if I'm talking to my designer you know my, my design director I'm gonna I'm gonna care about her opinion a lot because she's my right hand right mm-hmm. uh, to anyone you know like you know whether I'm working with you or Diane Kendall like you know I was like oh this is the kind of hair makeup the makeup look that we're going for right but we're also going to ask. I'm gonna ask you, hey Quinn, but like, how do you want to approach this? And you're like, oh, I have this idea and this idea, and then you'll do it in your way, you know. And I think that's that's generally, I think a very important value for me is never going to a job, uh, thinking that you know everything. You know, it's really important to listen. I always got, I always thought of you actually when you came out with a makeup line. The first thing I thought of was, well, he's really into the. Hair and makeup because more often than not, when I did a client who you were dressing, you sent hair and makeup 
uh, always, always, always. And always. I love that because well, team effort. You know, it's not we're not three disparate. You know, hair, makeup, and clothing. You know, you know, and be, and we're we're, we're we're all working for our client. You know, we want her, we want her to look the best. So when you are working and creating something, yeah. are you thinking about the hair and the makeup and even the woman who's wearing it? Sure. Yeah. We want to make sure it's not about like, you know, uh, you know, and every project is different, which is why actually that's, that's one of the things I miss the most is, you know, creating these amazing looks on the red carpet, you know? Um, and I hope we can get back to that later this year, but it's fun. Right. And then to have creative dialogue, whether in person or through FaceTime, you know, when you're now, I am here, you know, I think it's the most fun part of the job is actually having that teamwork come together and everybody kind of um, playing off of each other too. Whether you become the star of it, it's about the makeup or you end up pulling back because it's a hair moment. Yeah. You know, it's that synergy. The overall look, sometimes the simplest dress could be the most iconic look through amazing hair makeup. You know, you realize the full entire vision that way, you know, um, you know, it all belongs to teamwork, I think. I remember when we did Lily for the CFDA Awards in 2017, she oh, wore your dress. And everything was kind of like champagne and yeah, nude. Exactly. And, but it was strong. I mean, even, there was nothing you would go, oh, that was the statement. But it just all, it had a strength in its simplicity. Oh, that's that's one, one of me and Lily's favorite looks. I I loved that. And then also, you worked with Lily for your fragrance. Yes, exactly. So we've done a lot together. And uh, I know we, we met, I think we met through Lily, right? You know, um, it's else? hard. I'm the worst. We met through so many people. And then I also met you through Canon. Oh, yes. My friend of like <laughs> many, many years. Yeah. So I feel like we had a couple, you know, and then uh, I don't know if you were friends with a couple of people I was friends with, but work-wise, it was definitely the, I, the most person that, and then Diane Kruger I've worked with, you know, I know you yeah. guys are really close. So yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you when I, uh, in terms of like, we're talking about you creating something and, and having someone in mind as a makeup artist, I look at something in the, in the technical form, not about the woman or the event. Yeah. I see color. I see texture in terms of makeup. I see color texture and then form or the shape. Yeah. And I find that I'm usually start my, my inclination is to start from a place of color. Yeah. But they're all important. And those three things are always kind of uh, tweaking kind of like what I call salad dressing. Like it's too much oil, it's too much vinegar. And you kind of get to that point where they all kind of blend. What do you, what place do you have something like that when you're thinking of design and which one do you usually start with i mean it depends on what it is right i mean let's say if we're designing a red carpet look and we're like we're going for like you know this kind of keyboard 80s look right then we're thinking all of a sudden you know we're thinking like oh quinn what about a red lip you know you know like what would you think you want to do like to do it to, to modernize the um, you know kind of a keyboard picture you know in a way that also um works for our client you know like you know copying something verbatim from an era or from a book from reference never works right you know we had to translate that into what works for whoever we work with you know and so 
It's always good to have a great reference because it really helps you keep on theme and keeps hope, you know, like having a strong inspiration board. It really keeps everybody kind of on the same page. And those so are you some- have you have multiple like uh, books and references that you're always kind of bringing yeah, out, always and always looking for new ones too. And and again, you know, sometimes it's about just being on set with everybody else, and our minds come together, and something great happens. For me in design and especially with the makeup and everything, I think like my North Star is the chicest thing you can do is reference something and make it undetectable. Like, let's say we're doing a look that is, you know, keyboards on, for example, but in such a modern way that someone who isn't aware of that reference would just think it looks so cool and modern at the same time. And then somebody who was, you know, perhaps more had more knowledge would be like, oh, my God, I totally see that. But it's done in such a way that's so current. Exactly. Even in in interiors, it's like taking the oldest house on the block and and keeping it like appropriate to the era, but also making it modern. The modern flow. Yeah, I mean, it's totally, you know, it translates this kind of idea and creativity, you know, really permeates through our all of every aspect of our lives. You know, even, you, um, you know, food is an aesthetic, you know, you want the food to look good before you eat it, you know? Yeah. I mean, your food and your page, uh, Mr. Wu Eats is, it's like, looks like a Michelin star restaurant food. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But this, this year I haven't gone to cook as much, been a little like January is like, January is like crazy month, but I'm going to get back to it, you know, in Feb, um, in a much bigger way. Do you? Do you think that um, taste, because I think such a big part of what we do is really comes also down to taste level. Like at a certain point, everyone knows how to make a dress in your field. Everyone knows how to do eyeliner in mine, but people are hiring me for a, a, a taste level. Do you think that can be learned? Um, I think it could be refined, but I think a lot of people have an innate um, sense of taste through their instincts. I hope that does, answers your question in a not so complicated but a complicated way is that you know like you know taste it, listen taste could be bad taste too you know and, and and sometimes you know what's funny it's like amazing things is a combination of great taste and a little bit of bad taste you know it's like that, that there's that that very fine line between crossing over right and so that's kind of like you know we're, we're always kind of navigating through that but like a lip color that's just off but it works yeah or, you know it's like a campy you know it's a campy reference but you want to make it not tacky but chic you know and i think um yeah i mean i think I, and i think that has a lot to do with your innate um instincts you know like how you, and so in certain aspects you know you learn through life how to make things better how to perfect your craft and your style or your references better but you know there's always going to be a part of you that you know has to come from a gut you know it has to be your 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 instincts absolutely do you think unlike an art a visual artist who makes a painting there's no pressure to have it be chic because it's it's a piece of art does everything you do have to at some point be chic or elegant? I, I mean, I mean, my sensibility tends to be more, ele- you know, I want to be elegant and chic and elevated, you know, but, you know, I mean, I have, my, you know, but, you know, my favorite show is RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh my God. We're just way to bury the lead. 
We got to talk about that earlier. Favorite I show. love RuPaul. I haven't seen this season enough, but um, oh, the season's very good. Do you do drag? Uh, no, I've done it twice before for Halloween. I was really upset last year because we didn't. I wanted to do Wizard of Oz as a theme, but um, um, you know, uh, hopefully this year. What's but your I, favorite I, thing about RuPaul's Drag Race? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I was raised by drag queens when, <laughs> when I was younger and uh, I love it. I love the creativity, you know, and, and these queens are not just like great at makeup. They're like, they can sing, do backflips and like, you know, rap, oh, you know, <laughs> I was I mean, like, I can't do any of that. You can be an amazing drag queen and not necessarily be the one who ends up taking the crown. Yeah, no, it's, 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 but it's just so, it's, it really, it's very creative, you know, and, and I love it. And I love the sense of humor. I do I think, you know, I the think after show. there's always has to be a little sense of humor, you know, even though, uh, you know, it seemingly my, my work seems more serious. A lot of people that don't talk to me think I'm very serious person, but I'm not really not, you know, I mean, you, you, you know me. So like, I'm not, I'm actually like, you know, I, I, I like a little or a lot of camp sometimes, you know, and I think it's important to understand those references, too, even though it may not necessarily be so obvious coming through, you know, in my fashion work. Right. And it's all how I mean, do you ever imagine yourself being on the show when you're watching it? On the show as a judge? No, on the show as a well, yeah, as a judge, that'd be easy. But on the show as a contestant. In I did the mind and it was the most fun experience I've ever had. As a contestant, no, I'd be out in the first week. Why? <laughs> because it's a lot of work. I know. If they had a sewing challenge, you'd kill. I yeah, exactly. But like everything else, I'm, I'm gonna. Ha- I need my own beauty team. I can't sit down during the the lip sync for your life. I'm up. I'm like literally dancing with them when they're on stage. The best. It's the best. <laughs> I think that this sounds extremely arrogant, but if I could train, I'm talking like had six months to do dance classes and whatever. I think mm-hmm. I could be in like the top four. Oh, well, let's, let's make that happen. We need to get your drag name first. I, I have it's Renaissance. Oh, mine is Terry Yaki. <laughs> That's good. And I want it to be maybe Patina, you know, cause like the aging drag queen. Oh, no, I like the Renaissance. We always need to, like, a play on words. Yeah, totally. Um, Do you, that's, we should actually um, get together when this is over and watch uh, Drag Race. I have to Yeah, I mean, you can do my makeup. I was told that. I'm not probably even good at drag makeup. I mean, I can do it, but I would rather do fishy makeup. Like, I think I'm more like, I want to make someone look super femme. Yeah, so uh, my first time was uh, Miss Fame did my makeup, and then last uh, 2019, Erin um, Parsons did it. And oh my god, I think I saw that. Yeah, it was so good. I like a fishy. I like a fishy drag. Yeah, me too. I like that realism. Sushi you know? grade. Sushi grade. <laughs> uh, sushi grade tuna, honey. Uh, Very pink. <laughs> Let's um I just wanted to wrap up with a little fun game with you. Yeah. Um and but before we got to that, uh I have one question that I ask all of my guests. And yeah. um if you could step into a magic time machine and yeah. go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, what would you say to yourself and when would it be? 
Does, uh, I would love to go to the 1950s. But but if if you were going back to 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 meet oh. Jason Wu in your life, oh, to meet Jason in my what life, what would you say to yourself? Where would you meet yourself? At what point? And what would you say? You know, I would meet myself probably in my early teens, like thirteen, fourteen. You know, um, you know, like around ninety five, ninety six. I think um, that was when I was, you know, when I was first hitting puberty and a feeling very uncomfortable with myself and, you know, my, my entire identity for, for that fact. Right. You know, and, uh, and tell myself that everything's going to be okay. Mm. Cause you know, at some point at that time, it didn't seem like it would be. You thought that being gay was the. Being gay and, you know, more feminine and also, you know, like I like art and fashion and I don't, I'm not good at math. You know, I was just generally not a standout in boarding school, you know? Yeah, I can relate. You know, I wasn't, you know, and, and I'm actually, you know, I'm very comfortable in saying that now, you know, I went through my very awkward stage and I I did, but um, I think I emerged much better, you know, because of it. I think that that is so true. It's not in spite of it. It's because of it. It's not. Yeah, it's because of it, you know, and I, I, I truly think, you know, you know, uh, you know, it's like polishing a stone, you know, or discovering a diamond or something, you know, you have to polish all the extra layers away. And that's what wear and tear you need in life called experience. You know, that's important. Um, you need a little bit of that in order, I think, to be a very well-rounded person. Yeah, otherwise you'd just be like every other asshole, you know, that you meet in life. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I think it it, it 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 makes up who we are today through by by and through our experiences. I I mean I'm just getting to that point in my life. I've been doing a lot of research on dyslexia because I grew up uh real I really thought of myself as smart, but totally dyslexic. And um, felt a lot of shame about that in school. And it felt like it shouldn't have been that way because I am smart. But, you know, um, not to make this about me, but when I was in the sixth grade, we all had to take like the the school-wide spelling test. And they had rounds of it. And every every sixth grader, the oldest at the school, was stand up. And as they read your name, you would sit down at what level you didn't pass. And I was in the first group of three people of about 100 who didn't pass the first level of spelling. And in front of the entire auditorium, it was me and like two special ed kids. And I just remember that it felt so humiliating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could. But I uh, I learned now through the um, reading about dyslexics is that that's also where a a lot or all of your creativity and um, daydreaming and passion come from. So it's like, you know, uh, it's not in spite of that. It's because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important. Um, Those are. No, no, but I, I agree with you. You know, I mean that, you know, it's not so different from my own experience. Well, you know, it's we're just two geniuses here celebrating, <laughs> you know, sharing ideas for the common man. And that makes <laughs> all of this worth it. Um, okay, Jason, best pizza in New York City? Oh, mine. In my <laughs> kitchen. On Sunday night? 
I'm I'm Sunday now. You have to come over. I have to say, like, you know, I, I use the Roberta's um, recipe uh, for the dough, and uh, I have to say I have it down pat. Okay, I'm picky, so do you deliver? I don't deliver because okay. I'm picky, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, never the same unless it's, like, that right out of oven. Totally. Know. Totally. Um, who's your favorite florist? My, Emily Thompson. Oh, Yeah. She's good. I mean, every New Yorker is always looking for the favorite florist who's not the most. I mean, she's my favorite. And like, um, she's done so many of my shows, the scenic. I mean, that creativity in that woman is just astounding. Is she have a store at, at the, uh, RW does, Guild? She's, uh, she's doing direct, uh, uh, she's delivering right now. Actually. Oh, okay. Cool. Favorite Italian restaurant. Favorite, uh, St. Ambrose. So good. Um, I didn't write this down, but what's your favorite Chinese restaurant? Oh, oh, that's a hard question. But um, oh, I'm, I love this place called Tim Hao Wan. It's a dim sum place. Where is it? Um, there's one in um, by uh, East Village, and there's one in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, yum. I want to go. Um, favorite outdoor? They deliver on caviar. It's good. It's oh. dim sum. Amazing. Favorite outdoor dining? Favorite outdoor dining? I'm going to have York. to. I do love on a nice day to eat outside at Italy in Flatiron. Is that, you mean, is it, is it on the street level or is that on the roof? You know, it's on street level. Oh, okay. Not right now. It's a bit cold, but you right. know, in summer it's great. Okay. What's your favorite corporate restaurant? Corporate restaurant? Like, yeah. you know, like a chain? Sure. Oh God. Let's see. Um, Shake Shack. Oh, that's good. I actually think Shake Shack rivals in and out Burger. I know people are going to give me. I, 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 yeah, I love both. Thank God they're on two I different. Both. So um, Bond Street or Gramercy Park? Gramercy Park. Indochine or Balthazar? Indochine. Ooh. Mid-century modern or century city modern? Mid-century modern. Valley of the Dolls or San Fernando Valley? Valley of the Dolls. (laughs) Tribeca or Greenwich Village? Greenwich Village, because I live there now. But I used to live in Tribeca. I know. I thought you still did until I heard recently you said that you were so close to the West Village. And I was like, oh, I guess he moved. I think Greenwich Village has a grittiness-ish to it that still that the West Village. I love both. both. Yeah. Cafe Clooney or George Clooney? Uh. Well, it would be Cafe Clooney unless I can marry George Clooney. Okay. <laughs> Cocoa Coco Krispies or Coco Vin? Coco Vin. Cherry Pie or Cherry Grove? Cherry Grove. <laughs> Hamptons or Hudson Valley? Hudson Valley. Okay. Palm Springs or Palm Olive? A Palm Springs. Marfa, Texas or Martha Stewart? Martha Stewart. Oh, toxic masculinity or toxic by Britney Spears. Toxic by Britney Spears. Oh, that's great. I choose that one too. Um, I have had so much fun talking to you. Um, you do. It's that sweet and sour thing that like, it's so fun to talk and then I'm going to get depressed when we're done that I can't, you know, actually. It's okay. Like, we can come back to episode two. Yeah. We'll do a um, a RuPaul's uh, Drag Race review. Exactly. Um, And also just, 
to say that I know that you didn't have to do this podcast for me. You are like an international designer and everything. And I just think that it was so, um, so nice. And I just feel so thankful that you were able to do this. So thank you very much. It's about the community right now. And I think we have to be there for each other. You know, I think that's really important. Thank you. And um, I'll be by later to pick up my pizza. Okay. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Quinn. Bye.